and live out the power of his spirit, which is what I want to look at with you today from Galatians 5. If you turn with me to Galatians 5, just verses 16 and 25. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to look at your scriptures and ask that you would uh, take my meager preparations this week and that you would fill them with the power of your spirit, that they would be living and active in the lives of your people gathered here today, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but would be doers, and that in doing as you command and as you so graciously give us uh, the ability to do, that we would bring great glory to your name as we live out the name of Christ. This I ask in his name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One, one of the many, but one of the most amusing things I find about our congregation is all the little boys and their lightsabers. I was about seven years old when the first Star Wars movies came out, but I don't remember the retractable with lights and sound and all the fancy things that they have now. Maybe it was just uh, not on my radar, but uh, they got cool things these days. But whenever I think of the lightsaber, <clears throat> that's drawn to my mind uh, what uh, the movies, the whole Star Wars series, uh, teaches about the Force. Uh, in those movies, <clears throat> uh, the Force is very mystical and spiritual, and um, I think it's because it draws on the producer, George Lucas's, uh, perhaps his background in Buddhism and at least some Christian leanings, because I see a lot of mixing of Eastern mysticism and some foundation, albeit twisted, of some Christian doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not here today to give you a point-by-point -point, uh, rebuttal to Star Wars uh, theology or worldview, uh, nor do I want to say that lightsabers are bad. You can go ahead and play with your lightsabers. Uh, but I do want to use this as a launching point uh, for looking into the true theology of the Holy Spirit, because in so many ways, uh, the world, unfortunately, dictates the way we see Christian concepts, and I think the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is an example of that. We must always be cautious not to be filled with and influenced by uh, the concepts out in the world and import those into the church or into the Bible. So today I want to look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. As you look at your outlines, those first two sections are just trying to give you a brief overview of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And then in the last section, to look at what that means. What do we do with this? It isn't just a theological concept they study in seminary and that I'm assigned to preach on you during my internship. I want to look at how this really uh, comes into our lives, how the rubber meets the road, and what we can do with the beautiful, empowering, glorious doctrine of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. So turning to our text for today, uh, those two verses uh, anchor a whole section on the fruit of the Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit. And so uh, first we see that the Spirit is a person. We walk with him. Uh, it's repeated in both these verses at the beginning and the end, overviewing that whole section. And to have a correct concept of, correct concept of the Holy Spirit, we must understand what, who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, just like the Star Wars movies talk about it in this impersonal force, a lot of other uh, pagan religions <clears throat> speak of something out there that we sense. But it's critical to see, and there's two ways in which the scriptures bear witness to the fact uh, that the Holy Spirit is a person. And this is through the personal pronouns that are used in speaking of the Holy Spirit, and then the personal activities, the way a person acts, that the Holy Spirit acts 
So looking at those two first, uh, the Holy Spirit, if it was an impersonal force, we hear and refer to it. You know, it uh, did this, it did that, it says this. But instead we see I and he and me. And those are things used to speak of a person. Two examples there for you to see. Acts 10, the Spirit said, I have sent them. And in Acts 13, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So just as you know, we speak of our, our kids, hey, uh, son, you know, he did this yesterday. Or I speak of my dad, he did this in raising me. That you speak of a person. As these same pronouns are used to speak of the Holy Spirit. So clearly, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, but more than that, the Holy Spirit is a person who acts. And granted that forces, impersonal forces, act. They, they do things in a sense. I mean, the force of gravity does something. It pulls you down toward the ground. But that pales in comparison to what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, as a, a real cognitive and acting person, uh, does a whole series of activities. Here in Hebrews 3, the Holy Spirit says, so a person speaks. A force doesn't speak unless you're in Star Wars land. But uh, in John 16, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, guides, as it says, the Holy Spirit will guide you. So these are indicators that the Holy Spirit, as a person, as an acting person, is way beyond uh, what an impersonal force that other uh, pagan religions and false theologies uh, speak of. There's a whole other list of things there. I just did a summary. The also, the Holy Spirit teaches, comforts, encourages, uh, warns, appoints to service, and other activities. That's not meant to be an inclusive list. But so thus far, we've seen the Holy Spirit as a person and as an active person in very personal activities, what he does. Uh, well, second then, um, the Holy Spirit is more than a person, more than an active person. As a divine person is where we really see the full beauty of the Holy Scriptures teaching about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's a divine, personal, acting agent. Um, and we must be careful to distinguish between a holiness that we can have as his people. We are called to be holy, just as God is holy. But the holiness that we have is by way of imitation. Uh, we bear the image of God, so uh, we can imitate that to a certain degree uh, and only when saved. But God in himself and the Holy Spirit, insofar as uh, being divine in his substance, has that as part of his nature. It's not something you know, he picks up along the way or grows in, as we'll see here, but he has it as part of his basic substance. And that's the, the, the technical language of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is in his substance. The substance is what makes you up. You know, the substance of the air is certain molecules. The substance of God is this divinity. So by virtue, as we'll see, of the Holy Spirit having the substance of the divine, he therefore is divine. So let's look at how we see that, though, in Scripture. Uh, first of all, a very straightforward example in Acts chapter 5, where the Holy Spirit is co-identified with God. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira having sold a piece of property and then wanting to donate the proceeds to the church and they uh, inaccurately represent how much they were having to give, saying they gave all of it when they kept some back. And they're very directly accused of lying, first to the Holy Spirit, and then you know, a moment later, same conversation, uh, they're accused of lying to God. So, Holy Spirit, God, you lied to one, the other, they are the same. Uh, and other examples, and I just put two in your outlines, where the Holy Spirit is co-identified with the covenant name of God, a very unique name. God is jealous for his name. He doesn't just pass it along to anybody saying, you know, I'll share this a little bit with this created being or this impersonal force. No, God is jealous for his name, sharing it with no other. Hence, in these examples, when we see the Holy Spirit being identified with that name of Yahweh, we're right to conclude that the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. And it's in Acts 28, uh, where uh, Paul 
says that the um, Holy Spirit said something, but when you look back at where that quote comes from in Isaiah 6, you see that that was Yahweh speaking. So Paul says the Spirit said, but looking back where it was first spoken, it was uh, Yahweh speaking it. So Yahweh and Holy Spirit tied together there. And another example very similar in Hebrews 3, where um, the author of Hebrews puts those words in the mouth of uh, the Holy Spirit, whereas the psalmist in Psalm 95 had said, Yahweh says this. So as a basic principle to look and see how those tie together, that uh, Yahweh and the Holy Spirit are one. And of course, this touches on the doctrine of the Trinity, um, uh, opportunity for another conversation, but enough for today to see that the Holy Spirit is identified with that very unique and uh, not able to be shared name, covenant name of God, Yahweh. Well, we must, though, in understanding that uh, combination, that triunity of the Trinity, not blur it too much together. They are individual persons. They're distinct. So just as they're unified within that covenant name, they're also distinct within it. And in fact, we see this in the witness of Scripture, uh, that they are separate to some extent. Uh, Matthew 28, of course, we're familiar with the baptism formula. We baptize people uh, into the name that is singular, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's one name. We've already spoken of it. It's the name Yahweh that applies to, is uh, embodied by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter, uh, in his first letter, does a very similar thing. Uh, he greets his audience uh, by identifying the three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and Jesus. Uh, and there's a number of other examples I list there for you, uh, but suffice it to say that we see a distinction between these three just at the same time that we see a unity between those three. The distinction is the person. Having seen here that the Holy Spirit is a person, it's easy to prove that Jesus is a person. Um, but that unity is the divine. Having seen that the Holy Spirit is divine, Clearly, Jesus is divine and God the Father is divine. So the unity and the distinctness, we must not uh, blur or uh, fail to recognize either of those facets. Well, if that wasn't enough, uh, we also see that he possesses divine attributes. In addition to the divine name, uh, we see him possessing divine attributes. And again, uh, just like we can do certain uh, um, actions that mimic God's holiness, we can also, by virtue of being in God's made in God's image, uh, mimic some of his actions, but they pale in comparison to what he is able to do. So man may, um, you know, in times past, lived hundreds of years and diminished over time, but in Hebrew, or Hebrews 9, it says that the Spirit is eternal. So to ascribe eternality to the Holy Spirit is to raise it to a whole other level, indeed, putting it in the level of the divine. Uh, similarly, may, men may have technology, you know, listening devices and remote cameras and satellite imagery in order to be many places at one time, but that pales in comparison to the omnipresence and omniscience, I should say, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is everywhere at once and sees all things uh, we may with our best uh, uh, spy technology, uh, temp, uh, uh, a lower degree of that, but the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit is an aspect of his divinity. And third, uh, men may learn and grow in knowledge uh, either through the filling of God in us or through and through diligent study. But again, that pales in comparison to the omniscience of the Holy Spirit and the other uh, members of the Godhead. Um, as Psalm 95 or Isaiah 40 says, uh, that there's nowhere you can go that you can be away from the Spirit's presence. He is everywhere. So. Uh, he is eternal. Uh, he 
uh, knows all things and he is everywhere seeing all things. And these are three of others. This is, again, not an exhaustive list, but these are three key ways in which we see the divinity very uniquely represented in the Holy Spirit that we need to ascribe to him that full deity, that full honor that is due to him. Well, out of these uh, divine attributes comes uh, divine works. Um, So he's holy, uh, this divinity, uh, this holiness being unique up to the degree of full divinity, and out of this divinity coming divine works. As uh, Elihu says in Job 33, uh, that the Spirit of God made him. So the Holy Spirit was key in the work of original creation. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit is key in the work of recreation. That is the re-enlivening of our souls spiritually, uh, reviving from the spiritual death that's a part of the curse. As Ezekiel 37, uh, verse in the section 1 through 14, says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And that is life-giving force uh, of the person of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Well, there's a whole uh, another list, again, I put that in your outlines there, of things, uh, actions, divine actions that the person of the Holy Spirit does, empowering Christ, glorifying Christ, uh, resurrection of Christ, as well as of individual believers, and on and on through there. Uh, the last few being uh, producing faith in the individual, yielding works of righteousness in the individual. So there's many, many key actions that the Holy Spirit does, and he could only do if he was divine. We can't say that uh, you know, he's got some special power that was given to him. No, it's part of his essence. It's part of his substance to be holy, to be divine, and to be able to do those things. So to recap, as I promised we've done, and this is a, a brief skim. I want these scriptures to be there for you to investigate later. But this gives you a brief overview of how we can understand from scripture that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. It's a person, much more than a force, a divine acting agent Uh, doing these great works uh, in the world, in creation, in individuals, in recreation, and then all those other steps beyond that. And that's really what I want to focus on today in terms of our application, is how does it carry on beyond uh, the fact that he gives faith to the believer, that he regenerates our hearts? Because, Lord willing, for all of us, that was in the past. But we must not think, oh, stop there and and I move on. So let's be reminded, uh, just like uh, John in his... uh, recorded in the book of Revelation, his letter to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, uh, that they had left their first love, that they'd grown cold in their works. And uh, we can do that. You know, over time, things cool off, law of entropy. Uh, but we need to be filling that with uh, the energy, the power of the Holy Spirit to rewarm it up, to rekindle that faith that he gave us, to stir us to more good works, as I've uh, shown for you there, that he gives us. So let's jump into that, to be reminded of the truth, of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, and to be stirred to action, of course. It's not just for us to leave behind on Sunday morning. Well, first then, I want to note, and to follow up on what I already alluded to, that uh, the Holy Spirit's presence in us is not a fleeting thing, as if he came at the time of our salvation and then flies off to deal with somebody else and then somebody else. No, the Holy Spirit's presence in the true believer is an abiding and enduring thing for the entirety of his life. Uh, Scripture speaks of him as one who permanently seals us and issues a down payment or a guarantee is the language that Scripture uses, a guarantee of our inheritance. Well, unfortunately, <clears throat> modern language, English, has twisted uh, the meaning of those words sealing and down payments to the point where if someone was just going off the English in a modern English dictionary, they would confuse the permanency aspect because sealing today is, is not permanent. Think of you know, sealing a letter and sending it to a friend. You write the letter, tuck it in there, lick the envelope, seal it, and then you realize, oh, I, 
I forgot to uh, sign it or I forgot to spell her name correctly or put the date or some fact of information. Well, <laughs> it's sealed, but you can open it. You might rip the paper a little bit. You might have to use some scotch tape, get some glue out. But the fact is you can undo a seal <clears throat> in uh, modern society here. Uh, but that is not the way it works in terms of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That spirit is intended and indeed is permanent. Uh, a similar little twisting of the language happens with uh, the idea of a down payment. Um, a down payment is also called um, an earnest uh, money because it, you're saying that you're earnest, which is to say serious about your intentions. You want to buy this house, so you put down earnest money saying you're serious. These are your intentions. You're going to follow through. Well, today, if you want to get out of uh, the initial procedures of uh, real estate transaction, you just have to pay a fee. You might lose your earnest money, but at least you don't have to pay the thousands of thousands of dollars later. Um, but again, that's not the way the down payment works in the life of the Holy Spirit. Uh, his down payment is permanent. It's irrevocable, and it truly is an initial sum laid down promising what he's going to do in the future. When you sign a real estate contract, you're saying, yep, I'm going to put down you know, what are 10, 20% now, and month by month, and over time, 10, 15, 30 years, you're going to follow through. And ultimately, boom, at the end of that contract, the work is done. And that follow-through is what uh, Scripture speaks of in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's done the sure work of down payment at the beginning. He will follow through. We think of a month-by-month -month schedule, but he's got a moment-to-moment -moment, continuous schedule. And then at the end of time, surely, at our, uh, the consummation, at our glorification, payment is paid in full, and we enter into that fullness of our inheritance. So all that to say that we must remember the permanency of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not fleeting. It is continuous. Well, what are those continuous works then? Looking at point B down there, love for one another. Uh, his continual presence 